0: Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Person-Centered Approaches to Support People Duly Eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 6, 2018. In this podcast, Betsy Bella, a consultant at the Lewin Group, discusses how person-centered approaches and values at all levels can impact long-term services and support. So when we talk about person-centered approaches, that's a broad
1: category. You'll also hear terms like person-centered practices or even just person-centeredness. Patient-centered or patient-first care fall under this umbrella as well. Several models provide frameworks and tools that can help guide person-centered approaches. These often focus on specific settings or populations, such as the ones on this slide. Charting the life course originated with families of children with developmental disabilities but now people are using it more broadly with a variety of disability groups. One example of a life course tool is the life course trajectory. This is an approach to person-centered planning which works with the person and family to identify a vision for a good life. And then it sets plans and supports to stay on track towards that good life. Patient to person and family engagement is not a specific model, but that's the kind of terminology you'll frequently hear in healthcare systems. Shared decision-making is an approach for patients and their families that they can use to make decisions with the support of clinicians. A key to shared decision-making is providing patients with the information on the pros and cons of multiple approaches. This might include tools such as videos or pamphlets with information about potential healthcare decisions, such as surgeries or care for specific conditions. The Wellness Recovery Action Plan, or RAP, is a peer-led process for people with serious mental health issues. Within RAP, people develop daily plans as part of the process, which describes what someone looks like when they are well and what they need to do regularly to stay well. That includes things like journaling, getting enough sleep, or taking medications. It really varies with the person, Uh, a theme you'll see throughout person-centered models. Person-centered thinking is applied across many populations. Like you heard earlier, people sometimes use this term to refer to person-centered approaches, but here it describes the set of skills and values developed by the learning community for person-centered practices. Finding the balance between important two and important four is the core idea that guides use of the PCT skills and approaches. I'll get more into that in a minute. These models and other models and approaches all empower people to make decisions that work for them and focus on strengths. Sean noted earlier the importance of recognizing people as experts in their lives and the goal of supporting the people to live the lives and you all, when you responded to the poll, these were the kinds of things that you are also highlighting as you talked about what person-centered means to you. So talking about important to and important for, think of important to and important for and the balance between them as a framework for considering the whole person to guide your person-centered approaches. All of us use this every day in our own lives as we make trade-offs to find the right balance for us between our passions and preferences with what keeps us healthy and safe. The things that are important for people are those that keep them healthy and safe. It's also things that people need to be accepted and valued by others within their community. For example, if somebody goes out in soiled clothes with holes in them, that's going to impact how people view them. So not doing that is important for most people. Many of the people in our audience today work with others to support them to access services to treat their health conditions, coordinate appointments and support medication management, connect them to services like transportation, housing assistance, food banks, and other things which help address social determinants of health. People need these things to live the lives they want, but if you only focus on important for, sometimes that can leave people healthy and safe but ultimately kind of miserable so that's when we have to bring in important too as well if you think about what makes a life meaningful for you you might think about think about what brings you satisfaction joy comfort and fulfillment the questions on this slide can help guide you to think about the things that are important to you for example Do you spend time with people who matter to you? That might be your family, your friends, or others? Or skipping down, do you feel respected for who you are? Do people value your contributions? Do they respect your cultural and religious values and beliefs? Or looking at, do you have control over big and small decisions in your life? What activities are enjoyable and meaningful to you? Not just what someone thinks might be, but what you actually enjoy. And do you prefer a fast-paced life or a slower rhythm? And then what objects or things are meaningful to you or make your life easier? It could be something really practical, like I don't know that I could get through a day without my cell phone, or it might be more about what it means to you or the symbolism, like I might get pretty upset if I lost my wedding ring. So these questions begin to illustrate what's important to you. Sometimes they might seem like little things until you don't have control over them anymore. So imagine you have a day off or you don't have any plans for the day. Are you the kind of person who's gonna set an early alarm anyway? Or are you gonna pull the curtains shut tight and sleep in? Now imagine that you're someone who needs some help to get out of bed and get ready for the day, or that might apply to you. Early risers, your aid is scheduled for 11 a.m. You will not be able to get up before then. Late risers, you, you live closer to where the aid starts their day, so your aid is showing up first thing in the morning, and they're gonna wake you up right away. Think about how that would make you feel, how it would impact your day. Now this isn't just one day now, this is gonna happen every day. Taking what's important to someone into account can be as simple as scheduling appointments and supports at the times they prefer. Health and safety are crucial elements to support people. But to effectively be person-centered, we have to also focus on the aspects of a person's life that are meaningful to them. Sometimes when people first hear about person-centered approaches, there's a concern that listening to people's preferences means using public dollars so people can get what people sometimes refer to as whatever they want. That's not what person-centered approaches are. It's about supporting people to make the kinds of trade-offs we all make to find a comfortable balance between what's important to us and for us. Important to and for, they're not a direct dichotomy. They don't cancel each other out. To best find balance, it really helps to figure out where they overlap, where what's important to someone encourages them to do what's important for them. Very few of us are willing to stick with something that's important for us, unless we can tie it to something that's important to us. For example, I know exercise is important for me, but it's hard to stay motivated, so I put books on hold at the library. Reading is important to me, so I'll walk back and forth to make sure I can keep reading what I want. So as you think about balancing important two and four, I'd like you to ask yourself, what does it look like when we address both? So let's think through an example to better understanding balancing important two and four. First, we'll approach supporting someone in a more traditional, maybe not as person-centered way, because I'm only going to give you the information about what's important for Jane. So Jane's a kind older woman who loves animals and lives alone. She has a limited income and several complex health conditions. Jane's duly eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, and you're talking with her, and she tells you that she regularly misses meals. Well, what do you do? So go ahead back to the Q&A box where you responded to the question about what Person-Centered means to you, and use a few words to tell us what you might recommend for Right. Right. So we're seeing a lot of home-delivered meals and Meals on Wheels, including sending someone to check eligibility for it, uh, providing a list of food banks, and then we've got some people who are looking into, they want to find out why she's missing her meals to be able to make a more accurate recommendation. Um, and interestingly, asking her what she calls a meal, offering to set up grocery delivery. So it looks like we have some folks who are already have their person centered hats on as they're thinking about exploring what Jane considers a meal, or why she's missing her meals, or looking at who in her support network can help her. And someone's looking into seeing what other issues she may have, and we have two folks who are thinking about culturally appropriate or special dietary needs. So if we go to the next slide, here we can see some more information about Jane. So the question is, how is it going to change your approach as you learn more about her? And those folks asking about special dietary needs, Jane's so glad you did because she's been a vegetarian for the last 20 years. She had a large family and was accustomed to meals as a social activity. Uh, Jane's cat Snowball, they were together for the last 15 years, and after a long, happy life, we've recently lost Snowball. And Jane can only eat soft foods because of some current dental issues, and she does not want others to be aware of her current diet. You'll notice that these are all things about Jane rather than a list of what's important to her. As we learn more about people, it helps us to uncover what's important to them. If you just ask someone what's important to you, it's only gonna get you so far. The answers will probably be true, but big and generic, like family and my health. You should also check in with someone to make sure your assumptions about what matters to them are correct. So if I'm having a conversation to Jane, and she tells me she's been vegetarian for years, I might follow up and ask her if it's important for her to stay vegetarian, and for Jane, it really is. From our conversation with her, we also now know it's important to her to eat with others as often as possible, especially now that her pet's gone, and how she's perceived by others is important to her, and she worries that her dental issues will make them think less of her. So use the Q&A box to share how your approach might change now that you know more about Jane. Are you gonna make different recommendations? Do you have more follow-up questions? Uh, And they're talking about meeting Jane where she is. Does she have depression that's affecting her eating habits? Um, Discuss getting a proper vegetarian diet. Look into if she has a history of gardening perhaps. We have some folks who are just Discussing, recommending that she address her dental issues, which might help her to move forward. Um, Yes, Jane does live alone. Look into a friendly visitor who might not be coming in for meals, but who can provide some of that social interaction. All right. Um, Looking into potential congregate meal programs and maybe other congregate meal programs, you know, placing her with other people who have to eat soft food so that she doesn't have to feel as worried about it. Uh, see about her getting her connected to community support groups to help her with the loss of her cat. So here you can see, now that we know more about Jane and we're thinking about what's important to her as well as for her, the suggestions to expand beyond just Meals on Wheels are becoming more in-depth, potentially more valuable for her. Someone suggesting that maybe she could volunteer at a local garden, That's are great. Thank you, everyone. So nationally, there are many states and organizations making plans and implementing innovations to become more person-centered. These changes can happen at multiple levels. For each level, we're talking in terms of who the authority is that starts the change, even though the actual guidance might be implemented by someone else. When organizations, such as care management or provider agencies, or health plans, make formal changes to processes, structures, and rules to require or encourage staff to use person-centered approaches, these are organizational level changes. And then there are changes at the individual level, when people make direct changes in their day-to-day interactions and work. So we're gonna get a little more into each of these levels. In the last decade, we've seen policy changes impacting the landscape in which providers and plans operate. These changes often come slowly and they can take a long time to implement, but then whether it's regulations or guidance, it can make a huge impact as organizations and individuals seek to follow them. In turn, as organizations become more person-centered, their approaches can impact future policies as agencies learn from high performers and seek to replicate their success more broadly. The rules listed on this slide all require use of a person-centered planning process. So that includes the CMS HCBS final settings rule, the reform of requirements for long-term care facilities final rule, and the Medicaid and CHIP managed care final rule. So whether it's facility-based care or home and community-based services, there's this move towards person-centered approaches. And then individual states as they seek to come into alignment and create a more person-centered network. They're also requiring person-centered training for staff, such as care managers, or implementing other kinds of policies and guidance. When it comes to strategies for organizations, something that they can do is they can create opportunities for frontline staff to share what they've learned working with clients. Encouraging sharing at team meetings helps staff to learn from one another to best implement person-centered approaches. It goes back to what Sean was saying about that idea of ongoing continuous learning. Consider requiring community inclusion goals as part of care plans. This is one way that you can turn a care plan into a more person-centered care plan is by making sure you have goals that help promote community inclusion. Um, this This will vary depending on the person and what community they want to participate in But some examples might be going to church on Sundays, meeting friends for a meal, or seeing their grandkids. Or it might be finding meaningful employment. Um, Track case notes with an emphasis on capturing preferences the person shows or shares. If you think back to Jane, um, if she has some staff that come in to help her, tracking this information in the case notes is going to make the transition more seamless between staff. Consider the importance of sharing that she needs soft foods to save her from having to tell everyone who assists her with meals. This will both save her time retelling her story, and especially since she has some embarrassment around it, she might not want to have to repeat to everyone that she only eats soft foods. If someone has Alzheimer's or lives with dementia, capturing their preferences can be particularly useful. especially if you're working with someone who doesn't use words to communicate. As people work with them and their behave, how they react and how, you know, if you take someone outside and they smile and they're excited about it, you can take note that Mrs. Smith loves going outside, and it can sound like a small thing. But if then other staff know to follow through with that and to repeat those activities that adds some joy to someone's life, it can make a big difference. Uh, Sometimes these kinds of case notes are referred to as a learning log approach. A medical practice may wish to develop and use shared decision-making tools, such as a guide with information on different treatment options for a specific condition. When it comes to strategies individuals can use, we're talking about changes somebody can implement in their day-to-day workflow to improve the experience of people receiving services. These are changes that people can implement without special permission. People who receive services can also implement change. For example, by advocating for themselves or being proactive about sharing their preferences. Avoid the use of jargon. Some strategies people can use is avoid the use of jargon and acronyms and use plain language to make sure people understand the conversation and feel able to participate. To put someone in control of their health and support decisions, they need to have the information. If someone else controls the paperwork, they have the power in the relationship. Share notes and plans with the person, even if it's not required. Focus on and emphasize people's strengths rather than focusing on deficit-based supports. A strengths-based approach treats people with more respect by recognizing their contributions. These could be past contributions, such as the work someone did before retiring, present even something such as telling jokes that make people around them laugh, or potential like interest in volunteering. A strengths-based approach provides opportunities to find ways someone can begin to address the supports they need with what they or their friends and family can already provide. It also supports people to identify meaningful goals they want to work toward. Ask yourself, What changes can I start making tomorrow to make a more person-centered approaches? Each level impacts the others. Systems changing, such as policies changing to require organizations to adopt new protocols, inspire organizations to create new guidelines, develop new processes which individuals then implement. They also try new approaches to respond to the organizational changes. When individuals, both staff and people who use services, share their learning back to the organization, this can lead to new improvements and guidance organizationally. As organizations learn and adapt, they can share their successes with others. These spread strategies inform policy-level policy level changes. So
0: that gets you all the way
1: around the circle.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details.